Isn't that hilarious? I love that because, <laughs> you know, wh- who we are, our name is real life. And there's a reason that we've chosen that name. That's what we're going to talk about today. We've been talking about who we are and different things that, that, uh, that, we're, that we're called to as a church, uh, what, what we believe, of course. But one of the things that we're going to talk about today is kind of the whole attitude behind the name, the whole attitude behind being, being real life. Thank you, Beth. Appreciate that. And, and so, you know, that's a funny video because, we, we, you know, we see that in church so many times. You see that aspect of prayer just being this, you know, super fluid thing, saying all these words that we never talk to. I don't know if you've met those people before. You talk to them, and they seem really normal, and then they pray, and then they turn into this different person. Who is this guy? All of a sudden, he just sounds like, you know, George Beverly Shea, or I don't know who that might be, but just just this weird language. And our prayer life, like the rest of us, should be genuine. It should be real. When people see you, it should be the same no matter where they find you. And so real life as a church, you know, we want to be real. We want to, our, our, our experience in church, who we are, who we hope to be as, as a church, is to be some, uh, is to be a church that's real that's genuine, that's, that's transparent. And that's a, a pretty important thing, I think, to, uh, to us as a church. You know, it's, uh, it's interesting because there's pl- many times, I'm sure, that you've, been, you've seen this happen or it's been, it's been you as well. You've kind of just been in an argument with your spouse right before you walk into church. And, or you've, you've heard of it or you've seen it, and they, there's an argument, and they walk in, and they're just all of a sudden just the sweetest people to each other you've ever seen because they've walked into church, okay? Oh, everything's great. Everything's, everything's fine. Or you've talked to someone, and you know there's something wrong, right? You know there's some kind of issue that this person is struggling with, and you ask, how you doing? Like, oh, I'm great, great. You ever met those people? It's just everything is just perfect all the time. Everything's rosy all the time. But you know that there's really issues there. And if there is any place where we're going to be real, it ought to be uh, as a church. Not just when we walk into this building. This is just a building. The church is the people. But as a church, this gathered group of people that serve God should be real, should be genuine to each other. It should be a safe place considering the kind of conversation we had last week. You know, that if it's a place that's not full of judgment, that redemption is real, that forgiveness is real, then you ought to be able to come in together and be yourself, to be real, to be genuine, to actually be who you are. You know, are you thankful to be in a church where you can be loved for better or for worse? I am. And when I think about this place, it's one of the things I just love the most is I can just be who I am. You know, I, I hate wearing suits. I hate dressing up. I hate all that kind of stuff. And I know real life doesn't care about that kind of stuff. Neither does God, honestly. God looks at the heart, right? That's what he's concerned about. So no matter how you show up, what you wear to church, doesn't matter. For, for better or for worse, you are who you are, and God knows who you are. There's nothing you can hide from him. Why should we hide it from each other either if we're to grow together as his people? I love the fact that I can actually come to church, and you know what, know that there's some things wrong, but I, 
it's okay. There's, 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 I, can, I don't have to put on a fake smile. I don't have to pretend like everything's just rosy. And I've been involved in so many churches in the past where that pressure was there that you had to dress up and you had to walk in. And especially if you were in leadership at a church, everything's just perfect all the time, right? It's almost like there was a switch that had to be turned on and all of a sudden, you know, it's like this weird kind of like spiritual salesman. Right? Because that's what salespeople are like. Everything. We can do anything. Everything's great. Yeah, that's not a problem. You know, because you're trying to sell something. Church is not a place to sell something. Let's look at a story today that's always kind of gathered my attention when it comes to this, this issue. It's a pretty amazing, very serious, kind of scary story that we find in the book of Acts. The book of Acts, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And the last time we talked about this, we, we shared this story. It's good for us to come back and continue to revisit who God's called us to be as a church, I believe. And so we're looking at Acts 5. In Acts 5, we have the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Really crazy story. This is early on in the book of Acts, okay? And this is, this is intense. It says this, but a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, uh, first of all, this is coming after there was this guy named Barnabas who sold some property, gave it to the church, okay? Um, and so now they're kind of, I guess, wanting to step up and do the same thing. So they sell this piece of property, and it says, with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to man, but to God. It says, when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last and great fear came upon all who heard it. It says, The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. And after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, we sold it for that price, right? Yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. Yikes. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And here's an understatement, right? And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. And so you, you read a story like that, and you wonder, man, God is severe for one. What's going on here? And then you think, well, you know, was God upset that they didn't give everything? Is that what the story's about? They didn't give it all. They kept some of it back, and so then they fell over dead. You know, is this a, a scripture that we could abuse and use for tithing to say, you only gave 8% and you left two out, and so you're going to fall over dead if you don't give it all? That's not what it's about has nothing to do 
with that. What it has to do with is that they presented themselves as something that they were not. They wanted to be the people that looked like they gave a, a hundred grand, but they really, you know, they, they, they kept back the amount. They wanted to have that hundred grand look, but they only gave 70. You know, they kind of actually used, if you will, they were using God for personal glory before men. You don't use God to look good before other people. God says, you're not using me in that fashion. That's not why I've called you together as a church so you can look good and, and be fancy to each other and, and abuse my name. And so God was like, very early in the beginning as the church is getting rolling, that's not going to happen, strikes Ananias and Sapphira dead. You don't look God, you don't use God to look good. We see that happen a lot, though, don't we? You know? Church has been abused many times to be a kind of show for how, how people look and how they act to each other and how, how righteous that they are over this person, how much better. All, it's so easy to take th- something that should be purely about worshiping God and making it about ourselves. Because church is not about the music and the lights and, and the fog and the great coffee and this, that, and the other and, and the building. It's about worshiping Him. That's what's real about it, right? It's not all the trappings of everything around. It's supposed to be about him. In that regard, as we think about what it means to be real life, we want to be real, genuine people, but our worship has to be genuine and real as well. That's what God has has called us to in the book of, of John, chapter 4, verses 24, we see this passage in particular where Jesus is talking to this woman. And he says to her essentially that the kind, he's, God is looking for some particular kinds of worshipers. He, he's not looking for the showy aspect of things like Ananias and Sapphira. Instead, he's looking for people that will, that will worship him in spirit and in truth. I think that's, that's a way of saying essentially with our whole self, with, with the core of our being, with, with all that we are, God is asking for that kind of worship. It's not the kind of worship that it, that's the outside trappings. It's not about singing loud and looking pretty. It's about coming and presenting your heart truly to God. Because Jesus at that point didn't care whether she was a woman and a Samaritan. He cared that she knew him. Worshiping in spirit and in truth. There's another passage that I want to look at in that regard that comes from Hebrews, and I'm going to take the time to turn there because I don't have every part of that scripture to throw on the screen. Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 12 and 13. I love this passage because it talks about God's word and talks about the depth at which it comes at us, if you will. Let's, let's take a look at this. It says, in verse 12, it says, For the word of God 
is living and active, and it says that it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow. And it says this, in discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. There's something about the Word of God. When you hear from the Lord, He's able to get to the very core of who we are. Sometimes you don't even know our own intentions and why we do certain things, certainly what others' intentions are for why they did this or that, but, but God knows, and the Word of God has this ability to just cut us to the core and to, to, to expose those intentions, expose those reasons for things. It cuts to the very core of who we are. We look in the book of James, it talks about the Word of God is like a mirror and it points out things in us, but it points out things to the very depth of who we are. If we're going to be authentic, genuine people, when we encounter the Word of God, it will expose things. It will really help us to see. Because look at what else it says. This is interesting in verse 13. This is why I didn't have on the screen. It says, And no creature is hidden from his sight. But we are all naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. We are all naked and exposed. You know, when you, you come into to church, you know, it doesn't matter how, how good you think you look, what kind of personality you put on, you change the way that you, you've talked, because the rest of the week you've been cussing like a sailor, but you walk in on Sunday and it's different. You know, you can try to put all those kinds of things on, but you know what? Really, God sees you as you are. You are naked and exposed before Him. There's nothing we can hide. It's kind of funny because I don't know if you've ever done this, but there are times where I'm praying and I will, like, adjust the way that I say it to God. As if He didn't already hear my thoughts on the inside as I was trying to change the exact words I was going to say to Him. We are naked and exposed before God. If God sees us the way that we are, why in the world should we try to put on any kind of pretense? Ananias and Sapphira were not thinking clearly to realize that, that God wasn't watching, that God didn't see them, that God didn't know everything that was going on. He does. But they were trying to who do the rest of the church because they want to look good. You see, the, our goal as real-life church to be real-life people is to realize that if God sees it all, then there's no need to play the other games. Let's just be real. Let's just be genuine. Let's just be who we are for, for better or for worse, knowing that God's grace, that God's power of His Spirit is working within us to change us. Because if we're focused on looking good and being good and all that kind of stuff, if we, when we walk into the church, first of all, that doesn't connect with the rest of the world that realizes I'm looking for something real. God sees it all. We're naked and we're exposed before Him. And if that's the case, just relax. Because you can't hide it anyway, right? You can't hide it. You know, it's funny, I, I get, a, I get uh, razors from this company called Dollar Shave Club. I don't know if you, any of you guys do that. Best, best deal ever, yeah. 
but they'll send like um, little what they call bathroom minutes and so like stuff when you're in the bathroom and just little interesting little tidbits of stuff and and they had the one that came out for the summertime and it was talking about you know what's the what's the best way to kind of hide your gut you know and it was talking about the best thing best thing to do is to you know to stand up straight and then to you know if you're walking past you know some beautiful woman apparently you suck in your gut a little bit as long as you're standing up straight that's the best way to do it don't try to lean over to this that and the other. this is the best way to hide something church is not a place to hide things it's a, it's a place to expose things before god and say god here i am you see it all anyway help me thinking again of what we've been talking about in romans 8 lord Bring life to these mortal bodies by your spirit. Change me. Make me into the person that you want me to be. If we can't hide it anyway, stop trying so hard to hide it. Because the number one person who, who, who matters, which is not everyone around us, it's God. He sees it all anyway. There is no hiding Let's be genuine. So I didn't really label my point, so to speak, out loud, so I'm going to go back a little bit. Number one, we must be unconcerned with appearance. Like Ananias and Sapphira, we don't want to be like them. We need to be unconcerned with appearance before men. Second thing is, is that worship must be genuine, right? It's got to be something that, that comes from the core. A third thing I want to share with you this is that, is that our love must be genuine. We're going to turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 9. And it's really simple. Romans 12, 9 says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. As, as a church, as, as real life, to try to claim that kind of name, love must be genuine. It must be real. What does it look like? It looks like a lot of what we talked about last week. That someone can actually come here and expect to, to have the true possibility of forgiveness and redemption. There is no judgment, but there is love, understanding the power and the grace of God let love be genuine. It's interesting that that had to be mentioned in the book of Romans because apparently there's, there's this aspect that love is presented sometimes and it's not genuine. Have you ever gone through the motions with someone? Put on the smile. You know, it's, you know Christmas, believe it or not, it's not that far away, right? And there's those times where you know, certain family members come over and it's because it's a member of your family, you're just going to put on that happy face. You're going you're gonna to treat someone a certain way, even though in your heart, <laughs> you know, that person drives you nuts. Well, that's, a, that's an incompatible kind of scenario. Now, I'm not telling you to treat that person poorly, but the problem is, is that the heart and the lips and everything else need to match. And so there needs to be a, a, a scenario where we, we come before God and we say, God, here's my heart. Please change me. 
this person drives me nuts. This person drives me crazy. Help my heart. Change me. Help me to genuinely love and care for this person. Love must be genuine. God didn't call us to fake it. And you know when it's fake. It drives me crazy in the South, too, in particular. And I, I think it's just because I've grown up as a Yankee. You guys know I'm from New York. In New York, and you've, you work up there back and forth, you understand it. People just simply have a tendency to say what they think. They don't hold it in. There's no filter. And so we're used to talking to people knowing that what you see is what you get. That can be taken here as rudeness. Because in the South, if you hate someone, it doesn't matter. You're sticky sweet. Southern hospitality sometimes isn't really hospitality. It's just sugar. And later on, you find out someone's just stabbing you in the back. And, and, I, and it was a while ago, I just realized in the South, it just seems like here, Southern hospitality sometimes, not all the time, is like licking sugar off of a blade. It's not real. It's not genuine. Plasticity drives me nuts. You know, you've looked at a person and, and, <laughs> and seen that kind of stuff happen where you know how that person feels about the other one. You can watch it at a distance. You know how they feel because they just told you. They just crabbed about that person behind that person's back and they just went over and just smiled and shook their hand, tried to be the nicest person in the world. That's not genuine. That's not real. Love must be genuine. It must be real. God's called us to be genuine people, to be filled with His Spirit, to have a love that is real, that's not fake. The problem is, is with the fake stuff, it doesn't last. You can only wear a mask for so long, can't you? Until, as they say, the gloves come off. Let love be genuine. That's what we're called to. Genuine love, knowing this is a place of, of where they, people can find true redemption, true forgiveness, keeping that in mind, one of the things that, that comes up in Scripture as far as being real is, is this. We're going to look at James chapter 5, verse 16. If we're real, if we're, if we're open before people, the problem is, is we know the ideal of what God has to say, but we also know at the same time the reality of how the world is in and outside the church. Is that typically when you are real and you share a struggle, you share something you've been through, that there's going to be some kind of judgment. There's not going to be the grace and love of God. You know, if... If Jesus hadn't been there and, and this woman that was caught in the act of adultery was drugged in the middle of a circle, she would have been stoned. But Jesus was there and he handled the situation differently. But in the church, if we were to be genuine people and, and we need to consider this verse in James chapter 5, verse 16, this is a powerful verse. It says, therefore, 
confess your sins to one another. Wait, you have sins? Aren't you supposed to clean things up before you come into church? Christians have, have got it together, right? Jesus said, wait, no, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. We forget many times that church is supposed to be like a hospital. You know, we judge people that come in with broken arms and, and, and bleeds and this, that, and the other. But it says this, therefore confess your sins to one another. Does that really happen in church? Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. I love this. It says that you may be what? Healed. Because that's what hospitals do by the power of God is they heal. If we are to be a genuine church, if we are to be real, then there should be confession amongst one another. This should be taking place. The problem is, is that there's been so many times in church that people are terrified to confess anything to each other, and that wound just keeps getting deeper and deeper and year after year and no help. It's like a slow cancer that spiritually just takes the life of people because they're not in a place where it's safe enough to be loved in a genuine way where they can confess their sins and be prayed for by the power of God and the grace of God to be healed. The whole term secret sins shouldn't exist. Now, and I hold this up as an ideal because it's not as if I'm, I'm, I'm this is going to happen in small pockets within the church. It's not as if I'm asking, you know, saying that someone should walk up publicly in front of the entire church and say that, I mean, if, if God calls me to do that, wonderful. And should the, what should the response be? Love and grace and healing and forgiveness and redemption, all the stuff that we hear about in Scripture, sure. But we have to be moving that direction. There needs to be confession to one another, a prayer for one another, so that you can be healed. That's why it's important to be real. Who else can you talk to? Who else can you share things with? How else are you going to find help if you can't find it in the church? The whole aspect of having to go to a counselor and the legalities of, of the privacy of that nature has developed because the church has probably dropped the ball. There's no need. Half the time, a counselor is just a safe place to share stuff that you can't tell anybody else. What do you do the entire time that you're with a counselor, if you've ever been to one? I have. It's share stuff. It's talk. It's not like the counselor gives you some magic pill or advice sometimes that you've never heard before. Many of the counselors that are, that are around have become just nothing more than a confessional. Think about how strong a church would be if it was a safe place to truly confess your sins to each other, to do what Scripture says so that you may be healed. Because it says the prayer of a righteous person as well has great power as it's working. God's called us to be real. And that's the ultimate aspect of being real, isn't it? Sharing your faults. 
Well, we can share the great things about ourselves, but that's, that's not being real. No one has a problem sharing all the good stuff about them, right? Hey, you know, hey, did you know that I can sing? Great, Lance. I could see that, you know. Did you know that no one has a problem sharing good things about themselves, but it's that the stuff that they struggle with. That's, that's where the reality comes. That's where being real with each other, being genuine with each other. And the funny thing is, as you find out sometimes, is that the person you share that with also is struggling with something. Oh, you mean you're not perfect either? Yeah, big surprise. God has called us to be like that. That's a part of what it means to be real. And in 2 Corinthians, we'll look at another, one more passage before we wrap things up this morning. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 through 10. Talks about a situation uh, Paul had that, that uh, God had, had put some kind of aspect of suffering in his life that caused Paul to be weak. And Paul was talking in Scripture, and he says so many times he just asked for God to take it away. We don't really know what it is. There's all kinds of theological debate left and right, and we could surmise what we think it is. It doesn't matter. The point is this, is this aspect of weakness. Paul says here, he says, but he said to me, God speaking to Paul says, my grace is sufficient for you. He says something incredible. He says, for my power is made perfect in weakness. There's something about weakness that reminds us of our dependency upon God. And that that God uses those opportunities. He uses our weaknesses to display His power. Our nature is to hide our weaknesses. Our nature is to to shove it under the rug and and bring about all our positive attributes. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul says, therefore, I I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He says, for the sake of Christ, then, I... Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Only because of the power of God. The power and the grace of God. Who sees the real you? We've talked about this before. We've sung all kinds of like Lauren Daigle songs and you know and gotten really emotional about it and all that. Who sees the real you? Well, first, obviously, God does. There is no hiding it. You're naked and you're exposed before him. But what other person, what individual currently with flesh on on this planet sees the real you? I would surmise that even in our own church where we we preach this and we talk about it on a regular basis that there's still 
a lot of this that's going on, it's this struggle to trust because relationships are what? They're a risk. If I expose this and then you turn and use it against me, But that's why the sermon's here, isn't it? Because it's not so that you share things with each other, so that you use things against each other, and you turn around and use them to abuse them. It's so that you may be what? You may be healed. And, and the world finds out that that's a hospital that heals. They're going to be lining up at the door. No one goes to a hospital that has a reputation for for making things worse. So this, this genuineness that I'm talking about, this being real life, it's not just this, it's not meant to be a cool phrase. It's, it's life-giving. It's, it's healing to be able to truly come and to bring all that we are before God. We have to bring everything. Would you stand with me? Lord, we, uh, we don't want to just have a cool name. We want to be real, genuine people that, that are in love with you. Lord, we want to be people that are, that are full of your spirit, Lord, that, that, are, that have been given life by you, that have been given the power of your Spirit, Lord, to heal, to help. Lord, that here is a place where redemption is real, where forgiveness is real, where it's not just talked about. It's not just a, an empty theology. It's a practiced theology that when people come here, when they encounter people from real-life church, Lord, that they find you. They find real love, real grace, real forgiveness. They find grace and they find truth. But, Lord, you are the one that heals. You are the one that changes. And, Lord, we, we just pray that we would be real amongst each other, that we confess our sins to each other, knowing that, that you will heal us, that you'll love us, that you'll forgive us. Lord, let it be that kind of place. Let us be safe people. Let us be people that are truly loving, that are truly full of your Spirit. Lord, let the hospitality that happens to be in the South be real here. Lord, let, we, let us be who we say we are. Let there not be two different individuals. Lord, we are, as always, completely dependent upon you. Lord, help us to to abide with you, to walk with you. Lord, we thank you for uh, your amazing love. Lord, let us never forget what you've done for us. All that you have forgiven. Let us never lose that perspective. We thank you for this morning and this time together. Most importantly, this time with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, Amen.